0: I'm Andrew Clyden, Lifestyle Editor for The Pulse, and I am joined today by Miles Danhausen, Content Editor for The Pulse. How's it going, Miles? I'm doing pretty good, Andrew. How are you doing? I'm doing well. Hope everybody heard me slam my water bottle against my chair.
1: It's a sound effect. We're we're advancing our skills here.
0: I think we should open every podcast episode with like a pop-top can sound. <laughs> I was on,
1: uh, I hopped on the podcast with uh, Frank and Matt Stone. Yeah. And... They do that. They, you know, they're always drinking white claw during their podcast. We don't do that here. We're professionals, and maybe not as cool. I don't know. But they always start by popping the white claw open, which pop yourself full of seltzer. That's that's true. White claw is not
0: my favorite thing to drink a lot of because I just get gassy. We're not going to talk about white cloud though. We're going to talk about some stuff that's going on. That's why you guys listen to the podcast. Uh, so <laughs> let's uh, let's jump into that. I think uh, that was maybe our best intro we've done yet, Miles. No, high quality. So if you're not um, already sensing kind of the energy in the room, Miles has been inundated with plan commission meetings over the last couple of days. Yeah, so long days into long nights, into plan commission meetings. But you've got some takeaways from them, and we're going to talk about them a little bit. So let's go through the Egg Harbor Plan Commissions had back-to-back meetings. One of them was on the shipwreck proposal that we've been covering for a long time. The other was on One Barrel's proposal for parking. So let's break down each of those. The shipwreck one was first, correct?
1: Uh, no, shipwreck was last night. Oh, interesting. And th- th- we're recording this on Thursday. Shipwreck was Wednesday. One Barrel was Tuesday. Put them up on back-to-back nights because the Egg Harbor Planning Commission are gluttons for punishment. Now, they are fine public servants who are doing human's work, just trying to keep up with the the development coming their
0: way. Well, the the order in which that those went down was interesting, and we'll get to what was decided at each of them. But uh, let's start with. Shipwreck, if you don't mind, because sure. I think that that, the,
1: follow me on this. is Shipwreck- one all big fried brain in my head right now anyway, so the order doesn't matter.
0: <laughs> sure. Shipwreck was proposing uh, an expansion uh, with adding more seats. Um, they had come to the plan commission before and been denied based on a number of reasons. Walk me through kind of just the basics on the proposal and how things shook out in the most recent meeting.
1: Okay, so when you, you talk about the previous version that they came forward with, the reason that this was denied back last spring was primarily because their plan relied on an agreement with the neighbor that they never had and had never broached with the neighbor. So the plan commission ultimately said, like, we really can't even consider this since that's not since there isn't this agreement that you've outlined in your plan but have never talked to that neighbor. We really can't take this on face value and, and even evaluate this. So they said no that time. So Shipwreck has come back with a new plan, pretty much the same plan, but now it doesn't rely on having this agreement with the neighbor to kind of violate the setbacks, not violate, uh, an accommodation with the setback. And this new plan, I believe it's 27 parking spots for the existing shipwright building has 302 seats. They would add 92 seats at an outdoor beer garden and some storage space and a little more kitchen space, I believe, is all worked into this building. Add 92 seats, bring a total of 394 seats, but they would have just 27 parking spots. So what Shipwreck had proposed to do was use a combination of other ways to fulfill the parking shortage. And because generally restaurants in every municipality, I think the ordinances are always uh, one parking spot required for every four seats. So in at Shipwreck's case, I think it comes to 104 spaces required, or once you count the employees. And obviously that's just woefully short if you if you have 27. Technically, if If you had just bought that lot next to Shipwreck, the Christine's lot, and let's say you opened its own 92-seat restaurant there, you would need, I think, 23 parking spaces just for your patrons plus parking spaces for your employees. So just for that new lot that they were proposing to open a 92-seat bar with, their parking barely accommodated just the new part, let alone the existing 300-seat restaurant. So their proposal for meeting that parking requirement was to use a combination of things the village offers as parking solutions you could do a shared parking agreement with certain types of other businesses and what shiprock had proposed is they own the cape cod motel and some parking of that could be counted for their employee parking because that's where their employees live and so the village was considering that even though it's maybe half a mile away like, you can make the case that that can work and fulfill the parking needs if your employees can just walk to work, which they could from there. Uh, they were also relying on shared parking with their business across the street at Fat Louis, which is kind of located near the, um, as part of Door County Nature Works. Or not part of, but that same in lot. In front of, yeah. yeah. And then the rest of it, that shortage, they were going to accommodate through a fee in lieu of parking because the village had approved an ordinance that allowed them to pay $50 for every parking spot every year for a fee in lieu of parking. And the village had not capped that. So they were proposing to use 54 fee in lieu of parking spaces. So basically a parking lot of 54 people. So in comparison, one barrel in their expansion is gonna have 47 parking spaces. So essentially like all the parking that one barrel now has or will have was going to be counted by paying a fee not actually providing the parking spaces.
0: Right, and so there are, are challenges with all of these alternatives, right? Number one, you're not creating more parking, you are using existing parking. And if two businesses share one parking spot, that's not two parking spots, it's only one.
1: <laughs> you are incredibly good at math. Well, yeah,
0: but not only that, the other problem that I foresee is like, let's say you share a parking spot with Fat Louis and then two years from now you sell that building. Maybe you don't still have that agreement in place to share that parking space. So you are able to pass your development plan with a promise of a parking space that isn't guaranteed in perpetuity.
1: And that is a point that came up in some of these deliberations. They never actually, the the village hasn't really satisfactorily answered that question of why they allow it that way. I think there's a good case to be made for shared parking. You know, like there's the Catholic Church up the street in Egg Harbor, huge parking lot. You know me, I, I don't think parking is that big of a problem, but I totally understand wanting to somewhat like have businesses fulfill what they're trying to do with their with their business and and fulfill some of those parking needs. Otherwise, it's just all borne by the taxpayer or other businesses. And that's what's happened a lot in Egg Harbor. But that shared parking arrangement, like you said, there's that gap in that. And in the fee in lieu of parking, there's the gap of like that money is not going to cover the cost of building a parking lot somewhere. Like it doesn't even come close, let alone the fact that it, you know, by being allowed, like you could make the case that when Shipwreck bought the building next door and combine that with their existing parcel, all right, then you have this huge parking shortage already. You should have to use that land to provide parking for your existing business. And some people made that case in the one barrel proposal because they're looking to build a storage unit. Some people were saying, well, you've been short on parking all these years. You shouldn't be able to build a storage unit there. You should put parking there. You know, that might be 10 more parking spots. So that's kind of a lot of what this debate centered on. Although this debate to follow, I feel like I watched the same conversation in a loop 80 times over the last, say, 10 to 12 a Harbor Land Commission meetings. It's it's like it just goes round and round and round. And they're getting somewhat wishy-washy conflicting advice from their attorney on the matter. So I, I don't envy them to be in this position. It's a really tough one to be in.
0: Well, and it's kind of one of those like one step forward, two step backs kind of thing with parking because we recently talked about how they increased the phylop, the fee and lumen parking from $50 to 250 right? Correct. But that doesn't affect any of the businesses that are already there. Right. They're all grandfathered in at their $50 mark. Yes. And shipwrecked would be would be grandfathered in at that amount as well, right? Yes. So that doesn't change anything, right? Because as it stands, and what does the file up actually go back into? What is that money used for when it's collected?
1: Well, the village has now said that will go into a fund to support paying for building a parking lot. Someday, But I mean, you'd, you'd have to collect so much money for so long to actually right. have it pay the cost of a parking lot. I think I've said this before in the podcast, Gibraltar's parking lot, I think costs $700,000, the big one they built behind the community center there. So it takes a lot of $50 payments <laughs> to, yeah, to cover it, that
0: it's, cost. It's $50 per space per year. Yes. So I don't, I don't have the number for how much money they're bringing in, but it's not, it, this is a five to 10 year plan, not a, okay, well, let's you know, solve the problem next year or something like that.
1: And it sets a messed up precedent. The example I've used when I've talked to people about this is, you know, there's a little sunglass hut in Egg Harbor. It's not for sale, but let's say hypothetically it was for sale. I could buy that tiny little building that used to be the post office and then it was Sergeant Pepperoni's for the listeners who go way back. That's hilarious. (laughs) I've never heard that name before, but I love it. Isn't it great? It's a great pizza place name. They delivered all over like the Egg Harbor area at the time. Were they competing against Anna's? I mean, I wouldn't say competing. No, actually, my brother worked for Sergeant Pepperoni's, you know, high school age mind going, look at this, people are paying this much for pizza and there's and it only costs this much to make it. There's so much money in this and I'm making money on tips delivering pizzas, you know, not really thinking of all the overhead costs. So that's why... One of the reasons that drove my brother go, hey, this is how I'm going to pay for college. I'll just open a pizza place. This is easy. Yeah, he had a business model and recipes and everything, and he just took them all with him. It was not easy. <laughs> it did not work as simply as it did, but we did end up beating out Sergeant Pepperonis eventually. And then just, we were a fine enough pizza at one point. Nothing close to like Wild Tomato or Northern Grill. and You're telling like
0: that. me that your brother left Sergeant Pepperonis to start his own pizza
1: restaurant and buried them? He took everything he learned from them and just buried he him. He didn't have, as 18-year-old as Dano, did not have to sign a non-compete agreement before he left. Well, and not well, only that, but he was like, I'm young, I can just outlast. Yes. I won't hire
0: anybody <laughs> but my brother and the Nowhere. two of us. And by hire, I mean, enslave my brother. We have <laughs> talked about Dano's... Over a dozen time on this podcast, and I've never heard the origin story before. <laughs> this is this is amazing. Well, before we go
1: too far down that road, let's go back to the topic at hand. Okay.
0: All right. Goodbye, Sergeant Pepperonis, you will
1: be missed. Future podcast. Yep. Tell me about what was decided. Oh, so what I was trying to say is like I could buy that building, and it's a tiny little building, probably a little bit bigger than this conference room we're sitting in, put in a small micro beer bar with ten taps, and only have a bartender. And then I could say, I'm gonna have ninety-two seats in the backyard. And that lot would have no parking. And I'd have one employee and I wouldn't have to provide any parking. And I'd just say, well, I'm going to pay the fee in lieu of parking at $50 a space for those 92 seats, 7,500 bucks a year. That's incredibly low overhead. That makes that property a lot more valuable. If now your, your file fee, if you start allowing that to be used that way, and now you start going down the street and you say, well, what if fireside wants to take out some of their parking lot and put in a massive beer garden and what if the next place does and the next place they've already had some of that neg harbor but now you extrapolate that and mojo rosas has talked about now expanding theirs because it's like all right they're watching all their competitors just kind of go wild with this so you do that through the whole town you might be talking about adding a need for if you add a thousand seats that's a lot of parking spaces that aren't provided that are sitting somewhere in a cloud in the form of fee and lieu of parking spaces but not actually there all this being said I'm not a big proponent of these huge parking requirements. I'm also not a proponent, as as some people are, of no parking requirement. But they're somewhere in the middle. You know, we probably don't need one parking spot for every four seats. That's probably way too many. And maybe one for every 8 to 12 is a better ratio. But one for four is what is on the books. And I say one for 8 to 12 because, you know, some people go out in the old school way where you go... Years ago, if you're in Door County, the average person would go to a restaurant and they might go to the supper club, get their fish fried. They go directly to that supper club. They sit down, they have their meal. They finish, they get out, go in their car and they go home. But nowadays people go, all right, I'm going to stop. I want to go to the fireside for dinner. Maybe I'll go to one barrel for a drink and then maybe I'll walk over to Hatch for a cocktail. Then I'm going to go to dinner at the fireside. Did each of those businesses need a parking spot for me to do that? No, you need one. So that's why I say like that ratio is a little off and it's you got to change the way you think about parking. You have a lot more dense housing development in these villages now where back in the day, people lived in Egg Harbor, but there weren't all those condos and things like that in Egg Harbor. So now all those people could hypothetically bike or walk downtown. There's a lot of different things, for parking, but-
0: Yeah, public <laughs> transit is another option to help- Bikes, help kind of I mean- up. Every time you talk about this file up, though, I'm immediately reminded of like middle school math questions because that's literally what it is, right? Yeah. It's like a building a parking lot costs X amount of dollars and paying a file up costs X amount of dollars every year. At what point will the file up exceed the cost of the parking lot? Right. Is that 10 years? Is that 20 years? If it's 20 years, you're in your 40s. You're like, I'm going to retire before I ever pay more money than it would cost to build this parking lot. Yep. So it, why would you ever even think to do it? Increasing that fee to 250 changes that dynamic a little bit. Maybe now it's like, well, it costs less to pay a file op for five years, and then I'm going to be losing money on this deal. If that's closer to it, then there's where you have the incentive to, okay, maybe I should build some more parking spaces, save myself money in the long term. If I'm going to be doing this for 25, 30 years then I'm going to save money overall by building a space, but that's only if the cost of maintaining that space is not astronomically higher than the file op. It's, yeah, right. It's math that you have to do, but just thinking about it, basically, it seems like you know, if it's going to be a 10-year, 15-year commitment before you break that cost ratio,
1: then why would you? Ever well, let's do think it? about this. Let's say, let's say I started a business and I had eight. I needed eight parking spaces that I was going to pay file up for. Last winter, I paid $400 over the course of the winter to have my driveway plowed. I've got a bit of a long driveway, but I get a good deal from the guy. So let's say your cost for a winter of plowing a driveway on a larger scale is like 1000 bucks. That's a lot of parking spaces you can then get for 20 parking spaces for that $1,000 a year. So it's not just about the cost of building a parking space. By not having the parking lot, you don't have to get it snowplowed. You don't have to get it resealed. You don't have to do all these other things that the annual cost of doing those things in some cases would exceed what the file op would be. So it's a good deal for that business owner to just do it that way. So there's a lot of different factors to consider there. But like before getting too in the weeds on some of those factors, like Egg Harbor ultimately has not actually gotten any file op payments yet. Nobody's used it yet. So this is the first time they're using it. And the way the ordinance is written, you have your ordinance and you have your base parking ordinance. And then- Before you continue, no one is doing the new rate or nobody is- Nobody's paying file up at all. Right at now. all? It hasn't been used yet. Okay. Shipwrecked
0: is the first test case. Now that changes things dramatically because I thought that all the businesses were paying file ops on a couple spaces as it was. Nope. So th- when was the file op actually first implemented?
1: I, I don't know exactly off the top of my head, but about a year to a year and a half ago.
0: Okay. And then nobody would have to pay that. Everybody's grandfathered in at zero, right? Because
1: it's a blank yep. slate.
0: Miles changes everything. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so Shipwrecked is grandfathered in. But the reason they now have to worry about that huge number is because once you expand that, you, you bought a new parcel and you combine these two properties into one, and you create a new proposal. Now the plan commission has to look at that as a brand new thing. That's the way these things work. So it's as if shipwreck never existed at all. And now they proposed a 394 seat restaurant. That's how the plan commission has to look at it. They don't get to go, well, you've operated for years without it, because you can continue that in perpetuity based on you know when they bought it and the use that it was in 1993 or whatever. Like That's a, it's a huge bonus. Like, hey, you'd never be able to build well hypothetically and a carver's had some wishy-washy decisions lately but the thing is like you'd never be able to buy that corner if it were a vacant lot and build a 400 seat restaurant on the corner of a county highway and a state highway in a weird spot and a tiny footprint and not provide parking you'd have you just couldn't do it but by allowing people to do like kind of count infinite parking like they did at one point where you could count everything within 500 all the street parking within 500 feet and then by putting in up, first unlimited and then up to 30 is what they cap it at now. You're dramatically increasing the use potential of any given property in the village. So, like I said, that sunglass hut, you know, that might be worth $75,000 as what it is now. I'm or I'm just throwing a number out there, it's, but it's not high. And maybe I'm wrong by a hundred grand or whatever. But if it's capable of being a much bigger business because I don't have to provide parking, well, now that property might be worth several hundred thousand dollars because it can be used for so many different things now. So parking, the one thing I don't I don't like. A lot of parking lots. I don't like big asphalt expanses for environmental reasons, for the fact that it encourages vehicles over walking and biking and all those things. But the one thing that a parking requirement does is it in a county where people are complaining about development, it can kind of handcuff development in a certain way. So if you look at a parcel and you would say, well, I'd like to do be a great spot for a large restaurant, but then where would I put parking? Now you don't build that thing. Or that'd be a great spot for a three-story condo but I couldn't squeeze parking in. Okay, I can't do it on that property. So it, it constrains development a little bit without saying, we don't want you to develop. And then when you take that away, it takes the handcuffs off. And now that is why One Barrel is able to have the seats that they do because they were grandfathered in when they proposed to build their restaurant, they could count all the parking within 500 feet on the street. So that that becomes problematic. Now, some places like Casey's, like that's been there since the beginning of Egg Harbor. Nobody worried about parking five years ago, let alone 100 years ago. So those businesses, you can't like retroactively take them away. And the same thing with shipwreck. You wouldn't retroactively say, well, you've been operating for 100 years on that corner. You can't do anything now. You're just saying you can't expand even more. So what they decided... and Thank you,
0: because we're we're 20 minutes in. I don't think that we've said if it was approved or denied. Oh,
1: oh, here you go. Buried the lead. So they said no. And they said no based on the fact that that file ordinance and that it's capped, they can't allow a business to use more than 30. But it actually doesn't say you have to allow them to use it at all. So it's an extra. You have your basic ordinance. That is one parking spot for every four seats. And then it gives the plan commission leeway to bestow upon a business up to 30 spots, you know, after evaluating all the other aspects of a conditional use permit. So you might say, take that sunglass hut property. Okay, what I want to open a beer bar with eight bar stools. Okay, you can use two parking spaces. That's reasonable. Okay, that's not a huge burden on other businesses. It's not totally changing the character of an area. It's not adding a ton more traffic. Okay, you can. it doesn't give you this unfair advantage compared to other local businesses. You can use that. But then they might say to a proposal to use 54 file op spaces to make your business plan work. They can say no. And that's what they ultimately decided last night is it was so inadequate in the parking requirements of the village that they said no. And then they listed a a host of other reasons comparing it to, well, safety and congestion on that intersection. As Lisa Van Landen said, you know, the whole, the number one priority of their highway project was increasing safety and improving traffic flow. And by adding a lot more congestion on that intersection, a lot more use on that particular corner, they argued that that was going to impede safety and traffic flow at that intersection with so many people on that one property. Now,
0: I know that you are tired and I can hear it in your voice, but I do I'm, I'm say, actually
1: perking up compared to before we started this. Well,
0: I, I was going to say your explanations have been fantastic. I'm really <laughs>
1: following you on all of this. I'm probably so, not. I'm probably taking you into the weeds, huh? No,
0: you're not. I'm okay, actually, I'm, I'm following this more than I follow some of the things that you explain to me, <laughs> especially when we get into these like very specific board things. So great job on that. I'm sure that you've just been like sitting through these meetings going, uh, how, how do I express what I'm feeling on it. Cause that's what I do when I learn something, I have to tell somebody about it to really understand what I'm talking yeah. about. So I get that.
1: Well, normally what I do during these meetings is I, I take the empty beer bottles in my house. I shatter them in a big metal can And then I just take the shards of glass and I rub them into my eyes. That's usually how I deal with it.
0: Yeah, well, luckily these are all on Zoom and you're just listening on headphones anyway. So it's not impeding your ability to understand what's happening. Let's pivot to the other plan commission meeting that took place. You've been dangling uh, one barrel. You've been teasing it this whole time. Tell me about the one barrel proposal and what was, and tell me what was decided up front so that we can, you know, okay, we're not leaving people wondering for the next 20 minutes.
1: One barrel had a proposal to expand their parking lot and add a 55 by 30 foot. I think I have those numbers right. It might be 50 by 33 storage shed behind one barrel. And the, the plan commission approved that after a lot of deliberation, this came back to the plan commission multiple times. They had asked them to try and add more spots. Peter Gentry, the owner of One Barrel, did come back uh, with a second plan where he kind of, at a little bit greater cost, maybe more than that, I can't speak to that, but kind of carve into the little hill behind One Barrel and put the storage shed back there, which allowed for more parking in this parking lot. So at One Barrel, they have 24 spaces now. At the end of this project, they will have 47, which their original proposal, when when they were approved, they were... Required to have 35 parking spaces. They've never met that. And this would finally bring them up to that. Now, on the flip side, some people argue well, you have a lot more seats than was in that original proposal as well. So actually, you should have 80 parking spaces. And that, to me, that all ties back to the same kind of overexpanded parking requirements that they have with that one per four seats. But it finally gets them closer. Or hopefully in a position where uh, their their parking needs aren't spilling onto neighboring businesses such as Main Street Market. So we have
0: uh, two big parking-related conundrums to deal with. And in a strange reversal of fates, they shot down the one that's not adding parking and said yes to the one that is adding parking. It is crazy. When you told me that, (laughs) I was like, what is it, opposite day? (laughs) They took steps towards fixing the problem. And that's not to knock anybody.
1: It's just lately it seems like every plan commission meeting we come back from we're like, what is even happening yeah, nowadays? Tell me about And there were some big arguments. Uh, Kathy Navis was, and, and Lou Nyberg on the plan commission were arguing vehemently that they had to approve the shipwreck proposal. It's basically because they've tried. <laughs> and and, and that my, that's my summation of it, is that you know, they came back multiple times. How can we tell them no now? And... Other plan commission members were saying, "Well, that's the process. They bring a plan. We make comments. We suggest tweets. They're asking for conditional use. Like that's that is the process here. So, and then in One Barrel's case, it was I think the fact that they were getting this extra parking really what what they were approving for One Barrel was that storage unit. He could build that anyway. It's an accessory structure. What they were approving is. All right, you build that and you kind of, he needed to build parking closer within the setback from the road. Egg Harbor requires a 75 foot setback from the center line for a parking lot. And to get more spaces in, he had to build his parking a little closer to the road, which in my mind seems a reasonable concession. There was concern in that debate about, okay, you're building the storage shed and you're saying you need this to store beer and cups and all the tables from your patio and and deal with the, the growth of your business. How do we know you're not gonna use that on as like, hey, when it's a rainy day, you can hang out in my my storage shed and I'm going to put tables out there and I'm going to serve beer in there and or I might do a concert in there. So they put strict conditions. You know, this is a very, I, I would say, scared plan commission because they feel like they haven't been specific enough in the past and that has burned them. So they were going through and putting every possible condition in there to, to make sure it was just going to be a storage unit and that they actually build the parking and pave it by July 1st of next year.
0: That should help alleviate some of the congestion, especially between Main Street and One Barrel. A couple more spots would be helpful there. Now, we didn't, you know, kind of tie up the loose ends on the shipwreck. Are they going to come back again? I mean, that's what the next step would be to come back. I'm thinking next time they say, well, what if we use parking that One Barrel just put in and we could use some of those for our (laughs) airplane? Would that be a possibility? Well,
1: Bob Pullman, the owner of Shipwrecked, had hopped on at the end of the meeting. He was obviously very upset. Said the decision was BS, and they'd be hearing from him. Basically, uh, would you know that? I guess the only recourse would be when a planning commission denies it is to file a lawsuit. So there's a
0: difference between like denying it and coming back or asking somebody to come back.
1: Well, I mean, they could come back down the road with a the plan. They could, although the village passed a because they were getting inundated by these conditional use permits they passed a, a rule that you can only come to the plan commission i think once every they put them i might have this wrong but it's something like once every six months for the same parcel gotcha so and for the with the same plan so it's just so people don't go i'm just going to keep coming back and i'll tweak it a little bit and it starts this whole process over because every time they submit a conditional use permit has to go to public hearing by statute so when you submit a new one that triggers a new public hearing, a whole new round of stuff. And it, it is very time consuming. And eventually it becomes expensive because the plan commissioners get paid a small stipend to be at those meetings. The staff of the village has to evaluate that plan and make their recommendation. They have to be there at the meeting. They got to record the minutes. There's a lot of, there is actually that after a while, this, these costs really start to add up. And when you've got a village of, you know, what these village of egg harbors, roughly 200 people of those 200 people, there's a certain number that are just of an age that they don't, they no longer want to serve on these committees or they're seasonal residents. So they're not here all year and aren't available to serve on them all the time. A Certain percent of the population is kids who are under 18 and can't serve. So there's a pool of maybe, I have to look this up, but maybe there's a hundred people potentially to serve on any committee in the village. And of those hundred, how many people want to do that work? So you actually have a very small pool stretched to do these kind of things. And most of them are your business owners who are already overstretched as it is. It's a tough thing for a village that, that size, and Deb Fitzgerald actually asked this this morning, is like, and what size can a village facing these kind of pressures from development be expected to govern itself anymore?
0: It's tough. So with the increased file up and these two things out of the plan commission now, did they do it? Did they fix parking? <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah. It's, everything's up I'm going to ask now. you
0: every time something yeah. comes up, did they, did they fix it? <laughs> Knowing full well that it's not just a, you know, one size fits all solution for it. Right. Let's move on to just a couple other things. We have one other big town thing that's going on. And then we're, we're going to talk a little bit about uh, some news that came in just the other day. So first off, Fish Creek put an offer out to buy some property that would kind of expand their docks a little bit. And they have an accepted offer, which means that that now has to go to a vote with the constituents. Walk me through briefly uh, this, this land that is
1: uh, up for a potential purchase. This one I'll try to keep short and sweet. Barb McKesson, the owner of the Holiday Harbor Cottages in downtown Fish Creek, a small group of cottages near, kind of between the Bayside and the beach. That's, if for the layman, that's probably the best explanation. And, you know, there's a stretch there in Fish Creek where there's three or four properties right on the water, prime properties that still have like the old school cottages on them. And that's how they operate. Well, she's ready to be done cleaning cottages finally in her second she was after she retired from teaching she went back to Door County and took over the family cottages and has been doing that for 13 years ready to retire kids don't want to take over put it up for sale the town has offered to buy it for 3.5 million it includes a stretch of waterfront property including six piers that could have anywhere from 26 to 28 slips depending on the size of the boat and it is directly adjacent to the Gibraltar town dock so Obviously, the town's going to be interested in it. $3.5 million is kind of the, the the price that other private investors were looking at spending on this. So they've made the offer. And because it's a town, a purchase like that has to go back to the voters, just like the beach purchase and the building of the, the bath at the beach and all, all those kind of purchases. The whole town gets to vote on them at an, a special electors meeting or at the annual meeting. In this case, they're doing a meeting in November. There's going to be a couple of open houses to discuss it. And it's a big question mark. This is a town that's had some very contentious decisions like this. The Redmond property, as most listeners might remember, was $2.1 million for 200 acres, not on the water. So it's going to be interesting to see if voters go for $3.5 million to expand dock operations.
0: Right. Because, I mean, it makes sense why it would be a property that the town would want to buy to be able to expand that. But what, Miles, how do I benefit from it? I mean... Let's say I live in Fish Creek and I'm going to vote on this. How do I benefit from it?
1: I mean, well, that that is the weight that the voters are going to have to consider. I mean, you you could, if you were a boater, you could say, okay, this is going to mean more public slips available, more access to the waterfront there, but it's not beach. It's not like parkland necessarily. They could do some things to spruce it up, but it's it's not like grassy area where you're going to hang out, right? So it's primarily a benefit to people getting out on the water. Now there could be rentals or something like that there too, that would expand the base of people who would have a significant benefit from it the other benefit might be saying okay what's going to happen to this property if the town doesn't buy it would that become condos could somebody build you know like the condos that people don't like in, in sister bay the three-story tall condos that's probably what somebody else would do with that property if they were spending that kind of money on it and and I haven't looked at zoning and shoreline setbacks, like what exactly would be possible, but would you want to, let's say someone built a condo development right there, would you say, oh, is that going to change the way Fish Creek looks and feels as I go through it? Like maybe it's valuable to me in that way. So those are probably the, the closest considerations. It's not as simple as like say the beach purchase was where it's like, okay, obviously hundreds of people can go down there and hang out at the beach every day and have a better experience. And whereas this one is on the surface confined to, kind of the use of the docks and piers and the what they can do with the town dock. So there'll be more at those hearings. And I think that's probably the main question. A lot of people are going to be asking is exactly what you asked.
0: Right. Well, the last thing that I wanted to talk about is uh destination door County has announced their new CEO, Jack Moneypenny stepped down earlier in the year and, there was a nationwide search for the replacement or for his replacement. Miles, you were part of that committee that was looking for the replacement, and uh, you finally found somebody.
1: Yeah, Julie Gilbert, formerly a vice president at Destination Niagara, USA, which is Niagara Falls uh, near Buffalo, New York. You know, without going into too great a detail, you know, being on that search committee to me is a great responsibility because I see that position as one of the four or five most important, most impactful positions in the county because whatever that person decides to do in that position can make the lives of so many people up here better or worse you know, by being an effective communicator, by working with the different municipalities, by marketing effectively and keeping the tourism industry lively, but also managing it in a way that as best they can contribute to make sure we don't overdo things and don't overburden our community. And it's a tough job and it it's a very important hire. So I took my role on the committee very seriously and trying to say like, hey, this is one of the most important hires that will happen in the county over the last 10 to 20 years, got to get it right. And so that that was kind of the approach to finding this person. And unlike in 2007, when we really needed to market the county, people were going under, businesses were struggling, people desperately wanted more people up here. When they needed to find someone who was a good marketer, and that was a, get some heads in beds, get bring people, bring people, bring people, a lot more people. That's what people were asking for then. That's not what we were asking for this time. We were trying to find... Somebody who could lead this community and take a crucial role and be a voice for the community, but also a voice for tourism, for sure, and continue marketing as needed and and in the ways that we need to. But also bringing people together, working with community associations, working with the municipalities, hearing the concerns of these business owners and the infrastructure needs and the housing needs and things like that. And how can Destination Door County help advance some of those needs and, and, and solve some of these problems. So that's the primary thing that we were looking for, someone who can do those things and probably expanding the marketing efforts. I wouldn't even say expanding, but satisfying the marketing efforts was kind of secondary. And Julie Gilbert was her experience working in community where they had to work with a bunch of different municipalities, tribal governments, state government. She's sat on a lot of different national and regional tourism boards so has a lot of experience outside of just running her operation, but also having to talk to and work with people in all sorts of different backgrounds that really drew us to what she could bring for Door County. And she was just very impressive in terms of like having the experience in multiple different organizations, in multiple destinations to come in and bring her experience, the things that worked and didn't work in all of her experience to Door County in a way to lead us forward and um, not take direction, but like lead the board, lead this community. So it was a unanimous decision um, on the case of the committee. And I think uh, I'm looking forward to having her here and Holding her foot to the fire and, and, and getting the best out of that organization and everything we can do.
0: Well, I'm glad that you've had enough time to put together that explanation for why you chose her. When really it came down to, she's from Niagara Falls and we have the Niagara Escarpment. And, you and that like, was basically it. Yeah, yeah you're like, oh, <laughs> it, exactly the same.
1: So. <laughs> yeah, she starts in I think November 15th, and when she does, we'll probably have to get her on the podcast and and hopefully regularly on the podcast. See what their what direction Destination Door County is heading.
0: Yeah, I am excited to meet her and to see what the next couple of years have in store for us, uh, especially with Destination Door County and their new shift to destination management. I think uh, we're at the precipice of times that could be very exciting.
1: Yeah, and I, I know that some people, even in announcing that hire, they're just like, "Why are we marketing?" Like, okay, yeah, that you do need a CEO, <laughs> regardless. Like, hiring somebody doesn't mean you're like doing new marketing. It just means you're hiring a position, but I don't know where I was going with that.
0: Well, I I also saw comments like that and my thought was like, well, it's literally, it's just filling a position that needed to be filled anyway. But the other part of it too is like,
1: can you imagine if there was absolutely no marketing of Door County for one year? Can you imagine (laughs) what this place would look like? And, And some people have said, oh, we don't need to market Door County. Well, that's what they said in the 90s. And then everything crashed and then everyone was begging for marketing. And I, I say that not like, it's not like there's these big corporations controlling everything up here. Like I'm talking like sitting bartending at the Citra Bay Bowl and listening to a bar full of business owners from Northern Door saying, what can we do? We're dying. Like, this is not good. So I know there are some people who just can't wrap their head around the idea that you ever had to market Door County, but it just is true. You just got to do it the right way. You got to find the right balance of it. And that's a struggle. It's not easy. But like as much as people are negative about it, and you hear me, I get frustrated. I was pretty frustrated with Ephraim when with their affordable housing discussion there. But there are a lot of good people in in positions working really hard on those things, and that really do care about it. So it's not like there's nobody trying. On this front
0: right and the solution to congestion isn't just reducing the amount of people here it's increasing our infrastructure to hold more workers and to fill positions better because if you dramatically decrease the amount of people coming in how soon before you have to have businesses start shuttering their doors you start losing those finding the equilibrium you know shouldn't necessarily have to be about how how much do we have to lose to get to a point where it feels better? It should be about how do we take what we have right now and increase our ability to sustain what we have? Could there be less people up here? Sure, but it's, you know, if you take away 10%, how many businesses close?
1: And also like, there, are short, I, gr- I drive around, I get frustrated too. I get worried about properties. When I see a for sale sign on it, I'm like, oh crap, I hope somebody doesn't do something stupid there. Or, oh gosh, what are they building? I have the same reactions as everyone else. But you also have to go, what do we have here? If we went back in time and said, oh, we're not going to do this, this, and this, what, what do you take away? Okay, take away the Sister Bay waterfront. Take away the ridges. Take away all the waterfront access. Take away the YMCA facilities that we have. Take away the schools and the quality we've been able to add on to it because we have this big tax base, which is because of tourism. Like you, you can't just say, I want all the good things but take the people away that are paying for them. So there's a balance somewhere in there. And, and there are people, there are a lot of people who seem to think that you can have all the good that they love to do. They can have the restaurants open in the winter, but not have the people to eat in them. And so that's it's a struggle. Right.
0: Because these businesses aren't making more money than they know what to do with, right? <laughs> no. They're not just like, they can't afford to drop 25%.
1: No, I mean, in all my days and all my discussions with business owners for years and years and years, when they talk about winter, it's like, man, if we could just make, if it could be like 5% better, I would say open a couple extra months or I could hire a full-time cook and pay them well and have like a, a stable existence for them. And you know what? The, the wages aren't where we'd all want them to be for everybody, but I know that there are a lot of cooks on salary today that those same positions 10, 20 years ago were $11 an hour. You know, they there are things different. That are getting better, and we just need to keep pushing for those things and, and more of those things to make life up here better.
0: Right. If every single business had their their whole team filled out, you had as many as much help as you could possibly ask for, and still businesses were overwhelmed by the amount of people up here. That would be one thing, but that's just not where it is. Businesses are overwhelmed with the amount of people up here because they're so short staffed. Right. And to solve that problem, you don't have to bring less people up here. You need to create more room for those people to live in order to work in these businesses.
1: So. And find those people. (laughs) Well, yeah. And how do you do that? Advertising in the peninsula. No. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's a good way. I was going to say,
0: you know, tourism marketing. But what do I know? Seriously, Miles, what do I know?
1: <laughs> you know a lot, Andrew. Oh, thanks. You know how to fix it every time I screw up the podcast. That's true. Which uh, doesn't happen nearly as much as it used to. But basically every time I try to do it. <laughs>
0: Miles, thank you for coming
1: on. And I can't make it talk again. I'm sure you can. Thanks, Andrew. <laughs>